sometimes you think you know somebody and, and you don't today. My seven-year-old came out uh, of his bedroom and uh, just wearing his uh, underwear, and that was all he had on. And he, he sprang out from the corner and he said, check it out, ladies. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and then, of course, parents asked the next question, are you doing that anywhere in public other than here? Like at school or something? <laughs> sometimes you think you know somebody, and you, I guess you don't. And sometimes you think you know some things, and I guess you don't. Uh, you know, there are so many things in the world uh, that we don't know. And um, I grew up in Virginia as a good old southern boy. And uh, I don't know, you may know this already, but we have a different language in the south growing up. And... Um, and my dad used to call the antenna on the car the Earl. To this day, I have still have no idea what that means. Does anybody, does that make sense? Anybody grew up in the South, Earl? Yeah, does that, did you guys call it Earl? Okay, Earl. See, I don't know what that means, Earl. Is it like a name of the guy invented it? That's what I would think, Earl. Well, Ariel. Oh, Ariel. Earl. All right. Yeah, okay. Look, many people are like, oh, I get that now. Yeah, we leave syllables out in the South. I don't know. I grew up in a town called Roanoke, but if you live there, there's only, that's like a three-syllable word, Roanoke, but not if you live there. It's two syllables, Roanoke. Just, yeah, it's Roanoke. So I didn't know if you guys knew, like, medical terms, like we call, I, I ripped this off from John Carrico, redneck medical terms. For example, um, I don't know if you know the word benign, what that means, but in the South, it means something a little different. It means this, what you be after you be eight. You see my son be nine next month because he'd be nine, he'd be eight right now. See how that goes? You didn't know that, did you? All right. How about this one? Did you know this? Uh, nitrates. Do you know nitrates? Well, nitrates, you know, them are cheaper than day rates. <laughs> Needs no explanation. A node, I, I've had a node before. It's uh, past tense. I knew it. Like that guy, he know, he's good for nothing. I know that. Yeah. It's, and finally, um, did you know this one? Uh, barium, you know, that stuff you have to drink. Well, that, that's what doctors do when patients die. They bury them. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> some of you are like, I don't get it yet. I, yeah, you got to move to the south. and. <laughs> So uh, there are things that we just don't know, and so you can't do anything about them because you don't know about them. There are other things that we know, and we still do them. For example, uh, today is July 15th. Well, July 14th in Spain is the end of the week-long run of the bulls. You, you, you know about that. I, I brought you a little picture. So you see the guys in the bottom left, they're terrified, you know, because you're running in front of animals with big horns on them. You would be terrified too. They know that. They know that every year people get hurt, injured, and sometimes killed. And yet that knowledge, it doesn't affect them. They do it anyway. This past week, I was run, uh, riding my bike. I'm doing some biking early in the morning, and I used to bike for years. I didn't have a car until I was 30 years old, so I got pretty good at cycling, and I ride with no, not hand, you know, my hands on the handlebars. I ride with no hands, Mom. And uh, so I started getting back into that, and I was going around Erfer Park, and my goal was to try to make it around the entire bike trail with no hands. 
Um, and I'm, I was reminded that I'm no longer 25. And so sure enough, there's a bridge there. And I, I, I'm coming around, no hands. I get up over the bridge. I'm pretty psyched. I'm like, ooh, I did that with no hands, you know. And then, I, then you come down on the other side of the bridge. And I'm, still, I'm like, I'm going for it, you know, no hands. And there was one turn that was like, I actually made it off the bridge. I didn't realize there was a turn right after that turn, the double turn. And so I flipped right over the top of my bike, crash, got blood going going down my legs and uh but see i knew it going into it and when my i got home my wife said wow you got blood on your leg what what happened i'm like i was being a boy it happens (laughs) even in grown men it happened i knew that was not going to be a good idea i saw the second turn even i'm like i'm not going to make it but i'm still going to do it the knowledge of that made no sense you know and i think that there are things that we do actually know and it changes our behavior. Did you see the story of this? No words necessary. Off the coast of New England this week, there were a line, a crowd of people on the shore shouting, you have a shark behind you. It's a great white shark behind this kayaker. Yeah, and you, but at this moment, he gets it. Can you see that? <laughs> no caption needed. I'm guessing that that tidbit of knowledge at that moment altered his paddling what do you think uh, you know maybe he could have set a, a world record i think today as we look at these things knowledge can change our lives but not every time tough story in the news these days is with penn state what's happened in their athletic department horrible story of sexual abuse the abuser is now in prison if you don't haven't followed that story but this week the fbi who's been doing a lot of investigating came out with an indictment against some of the leaders of that fine university it had all had to do with knowledge what did you know and what did you do with that knowledge that was the indictment now i'm sitting in front of my computer and i'm thinking how could you do that how could you know have that knowledge and not do anything with uh, hmm i wonder if i've been guilty of that it struck me about the time i was getting ready to release my rock of condemnation against those who knew I felt that hand of Christ saying, hey, let him without sin cast the first stone. With all the knowledge I have of Christ, with all the knowledge that I have of the scripture of knowing how things will end for some people, have I kept that knowledge to myself? Have I enough knowledge? Don't I have enough knowledge to share with those who need it about Christ? Could I be considered a knowledge holder where all the things that I know, all the things that I possess, all the things that I believe, all these things, and yet I, I, it, it's not enough to change me. It's not enough at times to have that knowledge. Today, Jesus addresses these things in us in what I think is an important component of knowledge. It's movement. 
I'm reading a book right now that's kind of kicking my backside. I like those from time to time. This book is entitled Real Life Discipleship, and uh, the author's name is Jim Putnam. He says something I think we already know, but good to review. He says this, knowledge of the word, the Bible, the scriptures, and of the Christian faith must move from the head, what we know, to the heart, where it genuinely affects our character. And then from that point, it must move from the heart to the hands where it actually affects our actions. You see, the key word in that statement is movement. And when I'm reading a a statement like that, for me, I'm pressed in my time. I typically have three or four books I'm reading at one time. I've got things to do. If it's page 39, I'm, I'm engaged to move on to page 40. But what I'm learning these days is to stop. When God presents something of this truth, this magnitude, this reality to say, okay, I'm not going to read anymore. Let me just think on that. Let that penetrate God, do I have knowledge here that hasn't quite moved to here? And am I passionate about something here, but it hasn't moved to here into action yet? It's a, it's a sense of assessment, isn't it? It's a sense of taking inventory. And that's that process of uh, evaluating ourselves is very, very critical. And yet I believe very, very much sometimes left Aside because we're busy. It's tough to stop and just take um, uh, aim at some of these things within our own life. Movement equals maturity in our Christian faith. Can I say that again? Movement equals maturity. Think about it. Let's say you know everything about the Bible, but it hasn't moved to here. There hasn't been a, a, a process, a track of maturity where you said, man, let that fall into my heart so that I can become passionate about what I believe. I know a lot of passionate people, but it's still in the furnace boiling, but it hasn't come out. Oh, I know I need to spend more time with people. I know I need to do this. I know I need to move this this passion to my hands, to my actions, to my feet, and yet I'm not. And it requires that movement is an act when a person finally says, man, I'm doing something about this. It's a mark of maturity. When you look in the scriptures, you look at those that are well-known, whether it be David, Moses, Abraham, what you see in each of their lives is this thing, movement. They just didn't contain it within their minds or in their hearts. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he moved. He went. Verse 27, Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses just didn't have the knowledge about what was going on. He moved. He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched, after they had moved around them for seven days. Is movement in your life, in my life, a reality? Is it only a concept? 
Is it only a, 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 a thing of knowledge or has, has things, have things become, began to move? We're in a series now, a collection of conversations that we're calling Inside Window, Peering into the Emotions of Jesus. Let me restate the reason for this collection. When we see our emotions, we understand what makes a person tick. The jokes that I laugh at, you can tell something about me. If I, lo- if I have um, silly jokes, like I started with this morning, you know a little bit about what makes what I think is funny. If I laugh at racist jokes, then you know something about me that you're like, oh, that's disappointing because I didn't find that to be all that funny because I'm opposed to racism. If I'm laughing at those things, you get it. What makes me angry or what makes me laugh or jazzed or disappointed, you know more about me. That's how we show what's on the interior of ourselves through emotions. You see, emotions, I believe, are a gift from God, like any other gift, they can be misused. They can be overdone. They can be uh, uh, too far off the edge. But when we look at the emotions of Jesus, thank God he had flavor. Thank God that Christ did get angry. I wish more Christians would get angry about stuff, about the right stuff, by the way. Like, man, I can't stand our staleness anymore. That's Hebrew for... Oh, to get jazzed, to have the body of Christ jazzed. Where a worship leader doesn't say, let's, have, let's lift our hands. We're lifting them because we're recognized that we have the privilege of going into the presence of the king of the universe who gives us every single breath, every single thought, every single beat of our heart, every organ that's working in our body. It's his. Every thread of clothes, every brick on our house, every leather and piece of leather and shoestring, everything. It's him. Woo! I'm jazzed. I'd like more people to get jazzed. Thank you. <laughs> and I wouldn't even mind replacing our language. How about, uh, in addition to amen, let's say, you got that right. Wouldn't that be cool? Just shout the, well, that's what I'm talking about. There's another one for you. That's what I'm talking about. Or, whoo, I could go for that. It's in the Bible somewhere. We can find it if we look hard. <laughs> Jesus. We have seen over the course of this month times where he just got angry, times where tears ran down his face, times where he was jazzed, times like last week where we saw that he was disappointed, deflated, where we saw that that translated in some languages as let the air out of his heart. Oh, thank you, God, for letting us see who you are and what makes you tick today. We're going to see Christ move. Have you ever been to a movie and you are read something and think, man, that was moving? We're talking about our emotions. There's something in us that there's emotion creates movement. I think of one of the most famous 
scriptures and maybe the most famous scriptures in the Bible, John 3.16, and we read over it because we've read it so many times, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son to die for us, right? But you know that little word in there, so? I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad that it's there because if it weren't, it's say, God loved the world and he gave his son. Okay, that seems factual. No. He's saying that he so loved it. He loved it so much that he was moved, that he was so passionate that it created the most nuclear move of human existence that God moved out of the solidarity and the security of heaven to come into the uncertainty of the human race, get beat to a pulp, lay himself on a cross, and die. He did that. Why? Because so much... He loved it us so much. Can you feel the emotion in it? Let's say we didn't have emotion. Let's say I'm standing here. He loved us so much. No, you need emotion. And when we read the scripture, you have to feel the reality. So many times in the New Testament, I've just chosen one example here. As in Mark chapter 141, we see this. A leper came to Christ and said, would you heal me? And moved with compassion. You see, there was movement happening here first. Don't miss the order in this story. He was moved with compassion first here. Then watch what happens. Moved with compassion I like that. He's moved with compassion. Thank you. (laughs) It's awesome. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. All right. Here. Sometimes, don't you hear music in the scripture? I know I do. (laughs) He was moved with compassion, and then Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. You see the order? He moved here first, then moved, because if we move here first without being moved here first, then it will just be mechanical, not the kind of love, not the kind of compassion, not the kind of action or movement that God is looking for. Jesus was moved internally, and then he moved externally, reached out and touched the man. He says, I am willing, be clean, exclamation point. He is the master Teacher, Jesus, today we're going to see a story where Jesus instigates in us movement. This story is all about movement. It's the story many of you know very well, the Good Samaritan. He begins the story in Luke chapter 10. Now, before he starts the story, there are those that come to him that know a lot. They, they actually are called experts. You see, if I say I'm an expert at raking, then you will think, wow, he just doesn't know a little bit, but he knows a lot. I am an expert in redneck medical terminology. Then you'll think, well, he knows. These guys were experts in the Bible. Oh, they knew a lot about the Bible. Somewhere, Jesus is going to say, there's some movement missing in your life. On one occasion, Luke 10, verse 25, 
an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now watch the brilliance of Jesus. He could have said, all right, I'll tell you what it is. He didn't. He said, oh, oh, you're an expert? Not a problem. Um, He says, what is written in the law, Jesus replied to the guy. You tell me what it is. And then he says, how do you read it? Brilliant. So I'm watching this show, American Pickers. Anybody ever seen it? It's that southern part of me coming out. These guys travel around to different places and they're looking at different garages and beat up warehouses and whatnot and they're trying to find some rusty bike or something and then they haggle on the price and so this guy comes in and they're very savvy and they find this bike and they ask the owner, how much would you sell me this bike for? But the owner was savvier than these guys. He said, how much do you think it's worth? I'm like, oh, I like that. See, business smarts. See, Jesus is... Smart here. Teach us, uh, oh, great Messiah teacher, what's the greatest thing in the scriptures, he was asked. And and tell me, how can I inherit uh, eternal life? Well, you're the expert. Why don't you tell me? Love it. He's making them think. So the guy answers, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, good answer. You've answered correctly. Very good. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus says, move. Do this. Let that move from here to here. Because he sensed something. You see, he was an expert here, but not here. And certainly because it wasn't here, not here in his hands. You get it? I. He should have said, I am an expert here in my mind. Now, I'm going to back up on our slides a little bit, back to Jim Putnam and real-life discipleship. Watch this statement that he makes. Accurate assessment is critical. Here we go. I found that many Christians have an inaccurate assessment of their own level of spiritual maturity. Many believers are not as mature as they think they are. Now, see, I'm reading them. I go, oh, man, that's a hard statement. That is a hard statement. See, because we say we're mature because we're experts. I can reel off scripture verses. I can tell you I've been in the church a long time. I can do that. That makes me mature. Jesus goes, "Mm mm-mm. I'm passionate. I put stuff out there on the, on the phone, the Facebook. I can get up. I talk to people about the passion of Christ. And Jesus said, mm, almost. I haven't seen you move. See, I know a lot of people that get excited about God. Hey, how about you get in a, how about you get in a small group, in that group? That's where it's tough. I got somebody that's going through an addiction. Would you walk with them? What, like a couple weeks? Huh? How about a couple years? Well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. See, rewind the tape. Is it here? Hmm, it's not here. Is it here? See, everything we know about loving our neighbor, loving each other, means nothing if it hasn't moved. Have I said it enough? Jesus goes into a story in verse 
30. Because this guy, the expert, says, well, can you explain to me exactly what a neighbor is? I'd like to break it down. People ask me, what do you mean by small circle relationship? Can you give me a bullet point, like three bullet points of how that's going to happen? Here it is in one word. Move. Move. Get close to a person. And let God do something in here. And then watch what happens, because this is going to be a story of movement. Watch. You know the story, men of you. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he moved to the other side of the street. He passed by on the other side. Now, priest, if you don't know it, they knew a lot about God wasn't the problem. And I love this statement where he says, he just happened to be going down. We don't even have to look for those in need. I guarantee you something. Unless you live in a monastery for the next seven days, watch how God intersects us with other people. It's so natural. We will move in one direction or the other away or towards. Jesus says, here's a second guy. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw this guy who was beat up, he moved. He passed by on the other side. Two guys that had a lot of knowledge and they moved, but in the wrong direction because nothing was going on in here. Jesus said, let me tell you about a third guy, a Samaritan of all people. As he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. You see how the first layer of movement has to take place? And then watch. Then he went. He bandaged the guy with his his wounds. He poured oil and wine, which was like a healing ointment. Then he put on the, the man, he put him on his donkey, he took him to a, a, a motel, he took care of them. The next day he took out two silver coins, he gave it to the hotel keeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I'll, I'll reimburse you for anything that he put on his tab, I'll, I'll take care of it. See, now here's the point, we can't miss it. Relationships are not black and white. Rewind the tape before this Samaritan or this uh, yeah Samaritan came out of his house. Hey, can you tell me what small circle thing you might have today? I don't know. I'm just I'm just going out of my house. I'm not sure what God's going to put in my who's God's going to put in my way. Well, when they put you in the way, what are you going to do? Would we expect them to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going um, uh, to bandage a guy. I'm going to put oil and wine on him. I'm going to take him to a hotel. I'm going to make sure he's taken care of. I'm going to leave some money. I'm going to come back later and follow up and make sure the bill. How would he know, you see? Because the answer might have been, well, I'm going to meet uh, a pregnant woman, and she's going to be in need. She won't have enough funds to, for to take care of herself. So that, you know, uh, the, or I, I, here's, I'm going to meet a guy that uh, is wrestling with addiction, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk beside him. I'm going to get him into a program. I'm going to how do you know that? You see how there's no answer on the preemptive side? All we do is say, God, stir it up in our heart first and when it's stirred 
Whoever God brings our way, then we'll know what to do. It's got to be moved here first. And then Jesus style, he says this. So, in verse 36, what do you think? I'm going to let you answer. I'm going to let you assess. What do you think? There are 10 girls in Belize. What do you think we ought to do? What do you think? See, he puts it back on us. He's not going to answer it for us. Brilliant. Oh, I love this guy. There are times in our life where our jazzometer seems to be out of batteries. You know what I mean? There are times when the meter of our compassion mover just seems flat. When I came to Christ, oh man, my jazzometer, the needle almost fell off because it was going so much. Then after 25 years of ministry, something happened, just being honest with you. When we first started 360, I had found myself having worked many years in the inner city, front lines, going out on my own sometimes, the adventure, the stirring of compassion that couldn't hold me back. Five or six years ago, I found myself sitting in an office in a church job and my jazzometer was flat. Making sure that everything was good for Sunday morning. That was my job. And I began to drive around the city, Sarasota, and I wept uncontrollably. And I wasn't weeping because I was moved with compassion for others. I literally wept because I had lost compassion for anybody. I've got a job to do. I got a sermon to get ready. I got songs to align. We got to make sure we have something on the screen. I've got to take all care of all the nuts and bolts. I've got budgetary things to take care of. Got all this stuff and I don't care about anybody. Oh, God, I prayed, stir it up in my heart. The movement of your waters has stopped. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Pray before it's too late. Because Jesus looks us right in the eye. It says, what do you think? The compassion meter seems pretty low. What do you think? And then to sum it up in one sentence, as only Christ can do, in verse 37, Jesus says, I got an idea. Why don't you go 
and do likewise. So yesterday we're doing yard work around Dolly's house. Um, I have a shovel. Me and my new friend Joel are out there shoveling. And uh, we're pitching in and and, and we're, there are trees around, so we're hitting these roots. And you know how frustrating that is. I mean, it'd be just awesome to do sand, you know, but you're doing it. And it's like, ah, okay, I'll handle the water distribution or something, you know. <laughs> and so I'm like, and I'm like, I'm digging this one. And then I become determined, you know, that Irish determination in me also equals the flesh. You know, just, and there's this one root. I'm like, Okay, I will be out here till midnight, but my shovel is going through this route, you know? And so I'm like, <laughs> like all of a sudden, maniac shoveler, you know, on property. And at one point, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to pull this sucker out of here and, you know, forget the shovel. And so I start pulling up out of the, the ground, and I'm like, oh, and I find these. I'm like, that's metal. <laughs> These are those things, you know, the thingamaboppers that you chop stuff with. I don't know the names of them. In my mind, I'm, uh, you know, we're like all just standing around. You could just almost feel this glow in the choir of heaven going, oh. And we're like, this could be ancient. The Mayan Indians had these things way back then. <laughs> then, of course, you know where I went. This could be worth some money. <laughs> See, all the time I was digging down to this, the root, thinking that there was life in these roots, but I was digging in something that was dead. And then I was like, let me just see if I can open it. You see, it is entirely possible to be buried, to have our compassion buried for so long that we become like that. Don't do it. Oh, pray, stir it up in my heart, God. I'm missing something. See, I'm not telling you, go do something. Don't. Do something here first. Most Christians got enough up here for the rest of our lives, honestly. Pray that there'll be movement to here. That's what I'm saying. So when I went to Belize Monday, my flight was canceled at 6 in the morning. It was just a short hop to, to Miami, an hour, and then a couple hours to Belize. I got the call. My, my flight was canceled to Belize. They'd have to reroute me to Dallas. I'm like, yay, more time in an airplane. I hate traveling. I'm not a good traveler. I throw up easily. Um, <laughs> I'm rude uh, <laughs> and patient. Hey, you want to take a trip next week? I need my space. I got a talker on the way back. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, I'm typing, and I'm like, and he's like, hey, man, what you doing? I'm like, typing. 
I couldn't get away from this guy. I mean, he kept, he, there wasn't anyone sitting in the middle seat. He literally got up and he was like, you know what I'm thinking, right, man? I'm like, you are definitely in my space. Anywho, so my three-hour trip turned into a six-hour trip, and I'm tired. I got to get off. I got to drive an hour to this meeting with this, this very important person. I'm in the back seat of a small car with five people, and roads, they're going like this. I'm like holding my throat like if something comes up, I'll just choke it off, you know, like bury him or something. So we're going, we're going, then we got to do the meeting, we're going to drive another hour, and then we get to that meeting, we're going to drive another hour. I mean, I am done by about midnight. Then we drive onto the property, and I see this sitting there on the property, and I knew the story behind what this is, and suddenly my little trip and traveling paled. See, Shannon Bullock, who's the missionary there from South Carolina, sold everything that he had with three small children, one an infant of only four or five months old. And he packed everything he owned in this world into that horse trailer. And he pulled it from South Carolina to Georgia to Florida to Alabama my geography breaks down at this point over to Texas <laughs> and drove all the way through Mexico and all the way through Belize. You see, a guy like this came, moved with compassion and saw and went back to his wife and said, we're moving. But before they got into that trailer, I promise you, something moved here. If you find yourself like this tool, pray before it is too late. Father, thank you, God, for your word today. Thank you, God for asking us hard questions. What do you think? For showing us pictures of what it should look like. God, I personally know what it, it's like to be compassionately stale. I'm guessing there are others in this room that have either no known that or they know it right now. God, we, we just simply ask you to stir it up in our hearts, God. Oh, stir. I'm not going to ask for anything else right here except right here, God, your, your body, different people sitting around this room. Stir it up in our hearts, God. Oh, God, stir it up in our hearts. Oh, God, stir it up in our hearts.
stir.